Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear Doc, or the boss, I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes. 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 Any man fancy a Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. Stedman was uh, drumming that desk there. <laughs> Someone's got to do the fills. Someone's got to do these fills. Uh, yeah, yeah. Doing, that was almost Keith Moon-esque. For good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Food Show. It's 12.02 here on the R's. And you're in the afternoon here. You're in the glide slope going towards evening yeah. on a beautiful weekend. It is a beautiful weekend, isn't it's it? It's a beautiful day and there's no irony there. We played Eels the other week and... Uh, it's a song called Beautiful Day, dripping with irony. But we yeah. can say it's a beautiful day without fear of contradiction. Yes. Yeah. The sun is out, or was out, when we drove in. Yep. Things are kind of looking back to normal in inverted commas. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Well, it's normal. I love that. One step forward, yeah. but watch your back. That was sort of... Uh, normal with an asterisk. Normal with an asterisk, yeah. as it is. And uh, and the good thing is we have been out and about and mm-hmm. enjoying it. Matt, you were telling me you were in the top of Burke Street. I just had a nice moment on Friday. I was just I had to pop into the city, and I was just at that top block of Burke Street there in front of Parliament, and mm. the sun was out, and the restaurants mm. were full. Yeah. And there was just a really good vibe, and it feels like we've sort of got a good vibe back, which is which is great after the year, the two years that Melbourne's had, and Victoria, and the rest of the world. Goddamn right, it's a beautiful vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I 
paraphrasing <laughs> again. I sort of had the same experience mm. in the fact that I spent all of yesterday um, doing tours at the greenhouse at Fed Square in collaboration yes. with Joost Baker. Yes. Uh, the fabulous Future Food Systems. We've been talking about that. Um, I think next week is booked out, but you can check out on um, Eventbrite. Oh, yes. Um, Future Food Systems, Cam Smith, and doing that. But then I went into Hero. Oh, yes, in the... In Karen the... Martini's place. Yes. And Michael's place and, uh, well, let's face it, Philippa Sibley's cooking there. So she's got to get a Guernsey there. So that's um, in the middle of Fed Square. It's... In the middle of Fed Square. Yes. Food, uh, just just glorious food. And had a, a vitello tornato oh. and I haven't had that, but with artichoke hearts. And... I have a weakness for vitello tornado. If I see it on the menu, I just must have it. Me too. Yep. Me too. And and also this uh, this bagel um, this is, when you, you know when you can do something really simple but really, really well? Mm. And this is a personification of it. It was sold to me as um, a tarama mm. with a Greek bagel. <laughs> right. Right? Hey, that's sure. not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but then you've got to trust it. But this, oh, my God, this, this, this bagel thing was, it had obviously been proved, um, boiled, and then baked but it was not boiled that much that it was really, really tough. Mm. It had this bit of sweetness, and then you had this tarama with all this Yarra Valley caviar on top. Oh. It was good. Life is good. Life is good. It was. Um, it was. It was really, really, uh, really, really nice. Uh, today's show. We're yes. going to get on with it because I'm. I'm in trouble with Matt. <laughs> I just want to let you know that um, I got the look. I did. I got the look. The eyebrow came up because uh, he went, yeah, hi, Cam, how are you going? What have you got? And I said, oh, I've got this really good interview with um, this fabulous mushroom guy uh, called John Ford, who listeners might remember from Radio Marinara. Yeah, back nice days. guy. Yeah. Nice guy. Great he's, interview. And he used to live with our mate Dorje. Oh, Dorje yeah. Heavy. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So good, good runs on the board there. Yep. Um, and everything was going great. And we're smiling at each other. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, how long is it? And I went, it's 18 minutes. And I lied because it's actually 19 minutes. Um, but it's really good, I'm assured. <laughs> and you will be too, dear listener. Ooh, I'm still getting that look. Ooh. I know that's look. Um, anyway, we do. We go to um, Monbok. We have a chat yes. to, uh, uh, to John Ford, who is a mycologist who grows mushrooms. And we talk about the mycelium, the importance of mycelium. Look, it's, it's a fascinating 19 minutes. Yes, and you've <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, but if you want to play along, uh, check out my Instagram. Um, eat it, Cam Smith or Cam Smith. Eat it. I forget which Did way. Did you that put goes. some spores on your Instagram? Yeah, baby. <laughs> I got pictures. Of I got to get these spores got, on the gram. I got I got some close ups of the of the spores no, and the gills. No, I've got pictures of um, some beautiful chestnut mushrooms and abalone mushrooms, which um, you can't get anywhere else. But so if you want to check that out. Please do. Oh, and you can also see I cooked some lion's mane mushrooms yesterday. Mm. I don't know if it's the greatest food shot ever taken in the world. <laughs> I think Dean Cambray could give me some advice there. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be doing that. We're also we're about to have a chat to uh, the editorial director of Broadsheet, yep. uh, Katja Wachel, who and a couple of things. One is this amazing book. 
It's like, a good-looking book. We see a lot of books on this we show. We see a lot of books on this, this show. And this is a good-looking book. What's it called, Cam? It's called Homemade. And the idea is to, next time you have a dinner party um, or you want to cook for others, this is like having um, um, a, a real-life chef on your on your team, on your side, <laughs> giving on your you shoulder, advice. going, no, don't try and do everything a la minute. That's stupid. You can't get drunk, you know? Come on, what are you doing? Have, have you prepped those potatoes yet? Have you prepped the potatoes? You, you, should, should. you should do a braise. Just pull stuff out of the oven. Yeah. Ah, and then you do the ta-da and everyone can go, yeah, relax. Um, this has got pretty much everybody in it, but we're going to talk about Cut You About yes. That. Also, the podcast mm. that Broadsheet are doing, there's about three of them at the moment. They're all pretty mm. interesting, so looking forward to that. And then we promised mm. That we would have a chat. We would return back to the Australian Distill, uh, Distillery Awards, yes. Distilled Spirit Awards, because they happened and that was an event that I went to. A, a what? I went to an event. With other people With there? other people. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. It was amazing, except it was on Wednesday and it took um, two and a half hours to get from Warren to the showgrounds. <laughs> So it was... <laughs> Traffic's back, people, if you haven't noticed. It was eventful. <laughs> <clears throat> but we're going to find out who won um, and uh, why they won and uh, a bit of a sort of a summation. So mm. uh, we better get a move on. It yes. is 12.09 here. We'll be back with Katja to talk about this rather lovely book after this. Triple R. Mm-mm. And we're back. And uh, using the magic of the telephone, we find Katja at home. Katja from Broadsheet, Editorial Director. What an honour it is to have you on the airwaves. How you doing? An honour to be here, Cam, with you. I know. We're in this sort of detached way. It's sort of in the... It's an honour to be here with you in these COVID times. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, I'll take it. Even a chat is great at this point. Yeah. Humans. Yeah. Um, but uh, Broadsheet, the uh, the publication that's known of having the, the finger on the pulse, the eyeing of the zeitgeist, the looking over the horizon to see what's about to come over, is now given birth. Yes, we have. We've given... I think that's exactly the way um, the team would describe it. It was a lot of work. <laughs> really? Putting together I this thought it was a bit convoluted myself. <laughs> this beautiful... No, this new beautiful cookbook, Homemade, yeah. was a... Um, the triumph, but it was it was not without you know some blood, sweat, and tears. Why would you uh, get breached? <laughs> it was one of those things. Actually, the, I have to give a call out to our um, publications director, Nick Connellan, who was you know oh, Nick, yeah, okay. kind of yeah. the main the main man, kind of pulling this one together. And you know, I think what probably epitomises you know this book in just the last couple of years, our final day of shooting for the cookbook uh, yeah. was the day when lockdown was announced again. So right. you know we'd had another couple of days planned to do some nice leisurely and beautiful photo shoots but we had to cram mm. everything into a few hours on that kind of final evening uh, which I think just kind of speaks for the last couple of years really. Um, Absolutely. But turned out beautifully so it didn't really matter in the end. You know what Katja, I've I... Really got to semi-apologise to you because that uh, I might have sounded a little bit flippant at the the beginning, and I was just looking for a cheap laugh. To be honest with you, oh. um, but um, Matt and I we were speaking and we were saying, you know, we do get a lot of cookbooks, um, you know, over the uh, you know uh, over the time that we've been doing the show, but there are some that really do stand out, and I've got to say um, that this one does mainly because. 
Um, okay, it looks beautiful, and we'll get to that and the contents and the recipes. But the ethos behind it of having a chef on your shoulder or beside you um, while mm. you're cooking a dinner and a dinner party and showing you their little tricks and their ways to do it, I think is really, really valid, inspired, and in this case, really, really beautifully executed. Thank you. Uh, it was, it's kind of, when you describe it like that, it's amazing that, you know, there aren't books like this already out there because there's all these brilliant chefs out there who could give us, you know, those little pieces of wisdom yep. that could take our home cooking from, you know, good to, to great or just basic to fabulous. Mm. Uh, and, and actually that's kind of where the seed from the book came from. Our publisher, Nick Shelton, we went into, um, this was during the first lockdown. Yep. Obviously everyone was cooking a lot at home. Uh, people were cooking even more than they usually did. Mm. And Nick um, had access to some of the best chefs in the country just through, you know, his work as a publisher at Broadsheet for the last 12 years. Having him on and speed dial. Exactly. Yeah. Which, which not everyone, of course, most of us don't have that. No, uh, me mortals. Just an immortal, mm. you know, can't reach out to Shane Delia when we want to ask him, yeah. oh, hey, what buddy. do we do? Yeah. yeah. And he was, you know, he'd be cooking a roast beef and he's like, oh, it's just, I'm not getting the the crunch on the outside that I know uh, this chef might get or Andrew McConnell might I'll, get. Or I'll call JP Andy. From, yeah, I'm just going to text Andy or JP and see. <laughs> and no, and no one else in the world calls him Andy. But Nick can. I, I, I should probably not speak to him. I don't know whether he does either. No, 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 no. You probably don't. We, again, we, I've turned up the flippant scale. I'll bring it down again. But yeah, he's but able I'm to call someone like Andrew McConnell and say, "Hey, mate, I've got a you know the roast beef. I'm, I've, can you give me some advice on this?" Yeah, like what's that thing that you do that the home chef don't? Like, why? What, what are those little pieces of wisdom, the tips you've accrued, obviously de- over decades in the industry, mm. or not even people who have been veterans, just people who we know cook beautiful food in Melbourne restaurants? Uh, and yeah, we, so basically, he was like kind of finding those little things throughout his time in lockdown while he was cooking. He was like, you know what? Broadsheet's always been about giving people access to the best experiences and yep. restaurants and food and fashion and whatever it may be in the city. Like, we should be sharing these tips and this wisdom with the rest of the country. So that's kind of where the idea of the book came from. But also it was just about, you know, we were suddenly all at home. We were all going through the shared experience. You suddenly realised how much you missed the people you love and maybe it was part, you know, things that we used to take for granted like just a casual dinner party or like even a formal dinner party with a group of friends on the weekend, yeah. suddenly those things became luxuries. You know, if, if we came out of lockdown, that was, a, that was like such a special thing. So the book's about the tips and the wisdom and making sure you've got these classic signature dishes that you can make part of your repertoire forevermore. But it's also about cooking for the people you love um, yeah. and having just, you know, that kind of... Cooking and knowing it's not just going to be for you or maybe your roommate or your partner. It's going to be something you can share with your family and your friends. Yeah, and not only that. So, you know, that's sort of the ethos behind it, and I applaud that. And here we go, paraphrasing, a book full of tips, tricks and advice that come from a place of real knowledge and experience. So, you know, that's sort of the ethos. But then the multiplier is the the contact list that you've called on from the phone (laughs) Is large. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I'm sorry. It's the Lord's name in vain. What am I doing? Going to get in trouble from the Archbishop again. Um, but um, yeah, homemade. There are so many contributors here, and it's just about 
uh, you know, who did you get? Uh, everyone, you know, like from Philippe Michel talking how to do a chicken. Rita McCarley. What does Rita do? Oh, God, I have to Can't go remember. Yeah, well, I have to, have to remember. Yeah, just uh, re- I mean, probably pizza. I mean, so many. We've got 80 recipes in here. Yeah. From 80 different chefs. Yep. So, and, and as I said, it's a real mix. So you've got veterans of the industry, but also people who've only kind of come up or become household names in the last few years. I mean, we've, I'm really excited personally about the fact we've got a recipe from Joey Kellogg of 1-800 lasagna, who has been, you know, driving lasagnas around, delivering them in his Holden Marina, old Holden Marina for years. But the lockdowns That's really a great brought story, that isn't brand. It? To the yeah. floor, yeah. And so his lasagna recipe is about seven hours long, but I can't. That's one of the ones I haven't got. Like every weekend, I'm like, I'll do it this weekend. But I'm so excited to cook. And again, he's someone who's such a great character, and I think was such a wonderful voice during the lockdown of Melbourne food and the innovation that occurred. Yep. So we've got, you know, we've got Andrew McConnell in there, of course. Like you know, the, the names you know, like through and through, Shannon Martinez. Um, but we've also got, like, the Joeys of the world and, um, you know, everyone from Shane Dealer and Scott Pickett to Hugh Allen at Boudamond. And it's a really wonderful, huge array of very special chefs. And even some of the producers. We've got a picture of uh, Anna here from Casa Iberica, who I haven't seen in a long time. Um, beautifully designed, beautifully put together. Um, okay. We've we've gone on the quality of the thing. Some people have to ask the cost of everything. How much? Quanto? Quanto for this beautiful book? Well, it's it's just forty nine ninety five. So it's under fifty, which I think is a nice, it's a great Christmas gift, birthday gift. Um, and it's and available. Again, and you've done. You must have printed millions of them because it's available everywhere. Yes, it is. And we, <laughs> to be honest, even they like everything with COVID. They got stuck overseas for a while before they arrived a little late into the country than we were hoping, but the pre-sale has been quite crazy. So I think people are... Is it available now? Yes, it's available now. Okay, it's it's been published. So if you you order it now, you'll get it, like, quick smart. Um, So in time for Christmas and all those special things. But it's, um, it's... one of those things that we have to we we've been we've been waiting to kind of hold it in our hands and when it came through we were like oh, oh my baby it's just, it's, my baby it's my arms yeah, I'm getting exactly, back. The baby, we finally got yeah. the baby in our arms. In in the swaddling clothes. Well, uh, congratulations on that, and I mean that uh, very, very sincerely. I give it the tick of approval. Matt, do you give it the tick of approval? Yes, yes. Just yeah. based on oh, the contributor list. Yes, it looks great. Yeah, it really does. Oh, and also uh, one more thing, and then I want to just we'll quickly touch on uh, podcasts that you've been doing, uh, but also in the beginning of here. So there's a million recipes in here, as I sort of. There you go, flick through the book. But um, also there's some really, really clever ideas where you've themed all these things. So um, we can have, uh, what do we got? Do-it-yourself wine bar with uh, some dishes that you can do. Um, If you want to go follow the Mekong, you want to do some Vietnamese food, we've got a dinner party for you like that. Boom. Chinese. Got you covered. Um, It's, it is. Yeah, we've really, we tried to help group things as well because there's a there's a bunch of meals in here that you know you can eat separately if you are having a group over and you want to do a theme or yeah exactly kind of be influenced by the melbourne wine bar scene or um cook a beautiful um chinese inspired feast Mm. yeah we've got all those menus at the top we've even got things that are like 
cook. This is a weekend project. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like do, and, and you can also do the the, the quick ones. All right, exactly, and uh, in thirty seconds or so, how do we get to hear the uh, those fabulous podcasts you have been uh, beginning to create? I think there's three of them on at the moment. One is of salt. One is mortadella. The other mortadella. is of the worst whiskey ever made in Australia. We won't tell you yep. who it is. Um, we love that one. How do we how do we find that? All good podcast players, you know, whether you listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you you search it, yep, you can find it anywhere. Um, And the final episode's coming out this uh, next week, and that we we actually open the lines to all our readers. Hmm. It's Restaurant Confessional Hotline. Oh, that one's happening. Good. Yeah, and they could call in and basically tell anonymously their most wild, memorable restaurant stories. And there are some pretty, there are some pretty crazy stories in there. I actually can't believe some of the ones we got back. Uh, but that's kind of the grand finale. Can, we, um, of can the ki- can the kids listen to it? Oh, Oof, there oh, we go. Okay, there you no, go. I, I think, think so. we just found out which way you're going with some of these. Katja. <laughs> it's wonderful to speak. It's nice to see the broadsheet remain so. <laughs> edgy in this mm, regard but um, but the book's fantastic um, homemade it's uh, published by plum it's finally arrived it looks great it is great and i reckon uh, not since anthony bourdain told you how to do coco vin with the lazal cookbook have you had a help uh, a chef helping you out so well thank you so much for chatting with us thanks cam pleasure Catch up from Broadsheet. Mm. And it is 12. Oh, look at that. Beautiful numbers. 12, 22. And uh, it's time to go to John. And we better do it soon because Matt's looking at me weird. Like a, a, dif- a different I John, though. Not John at market. Like no, no. I can't quite look at Matt in the eye at the moment because <laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh, here's a great interview. It's, uh, Actually, Dells. we're going to do some uh, mortgage paying first. And then, and then we'll be a, back. A great chat with John Ford uh, from Unearthed Mushrooms for you to enjoy. Thank you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm in a caravan, which is a good place. We've and we're reuniting. I'm here with John Ford. Actually, this is not just a caravan. This is a very specific thing. But I'm here to talk mushrooms, mycelium, uh, the importance of mushrooms and great Australian mushrooms that are happening here. Thanks in no doubt to this man here, John Ford, no stranger to the airwaves of Triple R. It's awesome to see you again. How the hell are you? I'm doing so well, thank you, Cam. It has been quite a few years since my voice has been on Triple R, but uh, for those who don't know, I was on Radio Marinara for 10 years, 2008 mm. to 2018. So it's been a, a little while since I was on Triple R, and I've changed a little bit what, I've, what I'm doing. Um, I used to be all about fish and all yes. about seafood, and now I'm all about mushrooms. Yeah, you've, uh, you've, you've gone from the, um, from the maritime to... The spooky sort of almost subterranean um, aspect of of what mushrooms are. Can we, first of all, maybe just to get a, an idea of, before we go in depth as to what you're doing here, describe to me a mushroom. 
<laughs> Describe a mushroom. Well, um, I'm a scientist, so I'll start with the scientific. Yeah, um, scientific we, uh, we definition. But you know, I'm also uh, also very passionate about mushrooms. So I can mm. probably be a little bit more artistic around it as well. But um, a mushroom is a fruit. It's basically a fruit body of a fungus. So just you know, like an apple or like an orange, it, it is there to hold and create the seed of um, the fung- uh, well, of the organism, in this case, a fungus. Mm. And what we eat is one of these little fruits. Um, there's a whole lot of different uh, fruit that we eat of, of fungus, but um, I'll, I'll really say maybe a dozen, two dozen, you know, at max three dozen, you mm. know, that are really eaten around the world compared to, you know, all the amazing fruit and vegetables we have out there. Um, so, you know, yeah, right. m- mushrooms themselves are totally both culina- cu- culinarily, but also even scientifically is such a sort of unexplored um, region. Um, but yeah, look, that's what a mushroom is. And mm. that's the part that we eat. We don't tend to eat the body of the mushroom. The body of the mushroom is called a mycelium. And can I paraphrase? It's the tree you don't see. The tree you don't see. That's beautiful. Yeah, because uh, you talk about the fruits, absolutely. and yet the tree that you can't see is extraordinary. Exactly. It, it may be under the ground in most cases, yeah. may be living with, uh, with or on roots of trees, mm. uh, such as a, a porcini or a pine mushroom or something like that. that. They'll be growing under the ground, and they'll be popping out their little fruits when you go out there foraging and picking. Mm. Um, but a lot of the mushrooms that I grow um, grow on wood or dead wood. They're called decomposers. Yeah. And so when you're walking in the forest and you might see an old stump or an old log and it's mm. got little mushrooms popping out of it, they're the wood decomposers. So they're the ones that I tend to grow here at the farm because we grow on sawdust, basically, on dead wood. Um, so things like a shiitake, an oyster mushroom, uh, and a whole lot of varieties that I grow, such as lion's mane, and we'll go into varieties, but they all grow on dead wood. And there's the the point is that if we didn't have this this fungal flora, if we didn't have this mycelium underneath the ground, we would be up to here in in dead logs, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they're such an integral part of the the every, almost every ecosystem. I dare say there is even marine fungi. So they have a little bit of a crossover. There is marine fungi. Wow. Uh, they don't play such a role because there's not the need to break down woody. Uh, woody materials because there's not a lot of woody material in the ocean. Uh, not, not a lot of cellulose down <laughs> no, there. No, no, yeah, right. exactly. Um, but um, terrestrially, so on the, in the land, they're incredibly important. And we would yet literally be drowning in sawdust if we did not have fungi. Yeah, so the thing is that <clears throat> mycelium are everywhere. And if we want to describe them, they're sort of like a thread-like structure, would that be the best way for people to visualise them? Absolutely, a white, wispy sort wispy of, thread. yeah, wispy thread. And look, I mean, you could just go into your garden right now, find a, you know, leaves or little sticks or in your mulch and just sort of scrape them away and you'll, you'll see mm. mycelium. Look, at, at any point in time, you might be walking around, there could be half a dozen different species or, or more, up to a dozen mm. um, species of different fungi that's growing in the ground underneath you. Well, and apparently the, um, and you would probably know this better than I do, that the largest organism on the planet is a mycelium that is somewhere in the North America, in the US of A, mm-hmm. that, that is like hundreds of square kilometres, am I exaggerating? 
No, you're not. You're not actually. I'm not actually. You're not actually exaggerating. Wow. Uh, it is the largest organism in the world. It's a honey mushroom. Honey mushroom. Uh, it's a honey mushroom, and basically, basically, what it's what it's done is it's just grown from tree to tree underneath the ground, and mm. it also infects the tree. It's well, it's actually a parasitic mushroom, um, so it actually infects the trees. But um, the same organism will just jump from tree to tree, but it will still be eating one organism while it's eating the other, and it, and it literally eating thousands and thousands of trees, um, all in a very very slow way because it's a parasitic organism. Um, so exactly. But it is literally the same, and that's what's so amazing about fungi is that you can have the same organism. Basically, all sort of they're all you can pull them apart mm. and create two organisms from that one organism, put them back together, and they become one again. How did you come from <laughs> the the sea to the land to looking underneath the land to uh, to find these threads? Well, what happened? Well, for those... What was your epiphany, I suppose? <laughs> the mushroom epiphany. <laughs> yeah, um, look, I've always loved mushrooms ever since I was a kid and I was for a very keen forager even when I was a teenager. Yeah. Uh, and I spent a year in Germany and a lot, of, a lot about foraging back then. But um, I think what really... It's so part of the culture, though. Like, you're talking about Eastern European... Like, they really dig mushrooms, don't they? Uh, absolutely. And look, mm. to be honest, most of Europe does. I mean, it's mm. really an Anglo thing to be so fungiphobic, you know, and it really, uh, and, you know, we know so little about even our indigenous fungi here because there was zero interest, if not negative interest, yeah. from, uh, from the um, Anglo, you know, um, colonisers, um, uh, invaders of, of Australia. So, you know, if, if things could have been a bit different, we might not, not, not have known all, a bit more if they were French. But anyway, getting back yeah, to my If only story. Burke and Wills yeah. had asked you about the mushrooms, they might have... Yeah, anyway. yeah well, who knows? Where yeah. they, where they, but yeah. they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might have written some very interesting messages on the trip. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> but uh, no, getting, getting back to my story, uh, for those who uh, do remember me, um, I used to work, or don't remember me, um, I used to uh, work mostly in seafood, in sustainable seafood, and that yeah. Was my jam, right? And I've been on Eat It before talking about sustainable the, the seafood, seafood quite a few years directory, ago. Directory, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the traffic lights. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, all the different remember. systems. How yeah. do you choose and wh- where Where do your. Um, you Don't know. eat orange roughy. Yeah, well, yeah, we, anyway. Yeah. We'll, we'll move, we'll move moving on. But on, uh, moving on. No, no. I, I still I, I still am active in that space. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, most of my time is now spent up with mushrooms. But to be honest, I worked a lot with fishermen back then. So I was very interested in sustainable seafood, in that actually finding sustainable seafood that was sustainable mm. and also working with the fishermen to improve their practices so that they became more sustainable. So what that meant is that I spent a lot of time on fishing boats. I spent a lot of time working with fishermen and I just saw the pride that they had in their product, right? That they, you know, they weren't necessarily dining at all the fancy restaurants that their whiting or their snapper ended up at, yeah. but there was a pride. Like this is a good product and yeah. I get a good price for this and I work hard for this. And being a scientist, to be honest, you don't get any feedback about what you're doing is good or bad. It's kind of, it's, it's a hard game to play, right? You spend a lot of time, yeah, years right. doing, your, your, you might write a report that might sit on a shelf, but maybe someone will read seven years later and then you might go, oh, wow, that's right. Someone read my report. Anyway, sci- science is, is not, yeah, it's right. not immediately rewarding. And, um, mm. and I saw this with the fishermen and that they were, you know, and they were getting this good feedback and they could also really influence, you know, the quality of the product that they were, that they were putting out there. And mm. they were getting that feedback of like, this is good. Keep it up or, you know, improve it or can you do this? And I was just yeah. like, I'm probably, I'm a pretty skinny guy. Yeah. So I'm not the kind of guy who is going to be uh, out on a fishing boat and hauling in nets and things like that. Right. But, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, hauling your nets and things like that. So I thought, what is it that I could do? What could I, how could I work with chefs in particular, which is saying, obviously, seafood, uh, you know, it's all about food, is that was one of my passions, was working, working with chefs and making sure that the food being both sustainable but also ending up. So in you would have already had these relationships with a lot of people within the industry, yeah? Absolutely. I had already had, uh, yeah, already knew chefs. I already knew what the food industry, what restaurant industry kind of looked like, what they were looking for yeah. in terms of product, in terms of the consistency and the quality of their product. Um, and so that's sort of, it, I guess, so again, getting back, it's sort of, I found that you could, you could grow mushrooms and I started in my backyard, but then I was like, hey, this is something that I can be proud of. This mm. is something that I can dialogue with kind of chefs about who can say that, you know, who I can get some kind of positive feedback, feedback about. Yeah. And, um, and I guess sort of just build, build from there. They're looking, hey, this is a good product. Hey, keep doing this. And it's just like, okay, good. This is the time of my life where I need a little bit of positive feedback. And I just grew into a business. And here I am at a farm. Yeah, and we've got we've lots of different varieties. So, what was the first variety that you grew successfully and commercially that you were able to bring a tray to a restaurant? I'm interested which restaurant it was too. Um, yeah, tell, tell us about that that first step. Yeah, we first started with um, oyster mushrooms, and I think that's most people's first step. So um, they're quite easy to grow, and they'll grow on sort of just straw, or people even grow them on coffee grounds and so on. And I did. I had a lot of fun trying all those different things in my backyard. And I think, look, what I'm really grateful for is that I did start in my backyard. And because I started in my backyard, I could make a whole lot of mistakes. I could do a whole lot of failure, which if I tried to do it as a business, it just, it's just going to send you broke straight, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. So and you could have had an empty bag of uh, a substrate then you didn't have to talk to your bank manager about it. Yeah, exactly. Paraphrasing. <laughs> and my advice for anyone who wanted to do this um, is that, you know, make sure you spend a year or two as a hobby because you're going to learn so much and don't think you can start straight up. And I've seen a lot of people and a lot of companies just sort of start up and think they can go, you know, reasonably big or even just sell straight to restaurants. And the one thing the restaurants don't like is inconsistency in your supply. Oh. oh my goodness! You need to you need to sort that out, guys. So um, and that takes a while. What do you to... mean? There's no more oyster mushrooms available? Yeah, I've I've put it on the menu for the next three months. Yeah, and we're only two month two weeks in. And we've know? printed the menus exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and okay. so and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, so we so started. Oysters were first. Oysters were first, um, moving then to shiitake, king oysters as well. So, um, you know, some of the ones that are more common, I guess, which you mm. will see in restaurants and you will see in supermarkets. Um, I guess the, the issue we always have is that most of those uh, mushrooms uh, are, are imported from overseas. Mm. And so, you know, you're really looking at very, very low, you know, reasonably low prices. And sort of um, really the only way to sort of sell them is to really, you know, sell them at the price, which, you know, it, it makes sense um, for, for financially if for a business is to really say look this is local and this is super fresh and this is sort of you know sustainably grown in many ways and that that's sort of how I started is that mm. working with small cafes um, and some restaurants and then just going and then them appreciating that then knowing the difference between this and that thing that you get in uh, you know little hundred gram uh, you know styrofoam you know trays with uh, you know shrink wrap or you know glad wrap over the top and yep. you know I remember working uh, quite early on with uh, uh, was actually Mark Ebbles here up in Tarawara. So we're, I'm in the Yarra Valley yeah. uh, at Tarawara State. Oh, and, yeah, we um, didn't describe actually where this caravan is. <laughs> um, yeah, where is this caravan? We didn't do the picture of that. Uh, this, uh, yeah, we're in the beautiful Yarra Valley. Yes. Uh, we're in Mombolk. Yeah. I'm surrounded by many, uh, many flower farms, actually. This is the flower capital. So people know the, uh, the Tesla uh, you know, Tulip Festival, which yes. we haven't had for a few years. But uh, 
that. Yeah. It does come. We're very close to that. So, And some of the most amazing soils around this area. Some say you grow root hairs off a matchstick around here. Yeah, absolutely. Because I might be exaggerating. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. obviously my and uh, Romaro Farm is just around the corner as well, yeah. um, which you might be familiar with too, which is very, very popular um, amongst restaurants as well. And, and some really interesting neighbours too doing really innovative things. So uh, back to that uh, thing of supply and the restaurateurs going, why the hell do you mean you haven't got any oyster mushrooms and <laughs> your other varieties... Yeah, so we then expanded into uh, into other varieties, uh, such as lion's mane is probably our biggest seller right now. Um, and so lion's mane is something that no one ever really had ever seen or saw before we brought it to them. Completely off the charts with the uh, what people want from it, and <laughs> but also as a medicinal. Um, as well as a culinary, yeah? Uh, absolutely. And mm. so, you know, we, we, sell, you know we, we sell ours as culinary mushrooms, but we'll, 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 work, uh, we'll work in sort of the medicinal range as well, and we have a lot of people buy them for, for, for their medicinal properties as well, which is, which is fantastic. We grow a number of other medicinals, turkey tails and reishi. But, to real, I mean, my personal approach is that whole mm. foods and real foods are in themselves medicinal. So although these may have compounds and so on, good for specific things, I'm very much about selling... So, you know about producing and selling something that is really high quality that it's really fresh and it's full of nutrients itself so microdosing can be good in the in the <laughs> yeah. thing with uh, with lion's mane and people talking about other things uh, but um, for you you love to see yeah but in a broth it's 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 valid as well and beautiful and and you're getting all those other bits about it which is the umami bomb that a mm-hmm. that a mushroom can be and the incredible textures mm-hmm. and all that I know it's like trying to pick out a favourite child. Ooh. Ooh, you know? Good question. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Have, but... have you got? If if I was going to say, John, you, you can have one more mushroom for the rest of your life. Which one would you pick? Wow, big big question. Um, oh, like my favourite, I would say, is probably the Namco. Uh, the Namco, uh, little little um, slimy Japanese mushroom. Yeah, um, beautiful I... chestnutty brown. Um, keeps its texture so well. If you have it with a great dashi, you almost lose your mind with the flavour and the texture. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, no, Namco. But I mean, I, I really love abalone mushroom too, which is which is one that we've just just been growing in the last sort of twelve to eighteen months. Which is you know a, a lot of them. I guess the chestnut as well. I really like the chestnut, which is um, sort of this uh, orange mushroom with little speckles on top. Mm. Really, really crunchy. So um, I don't know. Can I do a little bit of a medley mix? I guess you know. I hey, do. it's yeah, your place. Well, it's my. I'm it's sitting my... in your in, in your house. So come on, you should be allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's. I look. I just I love having like to be honest I love to be able to go what mushrooms am I cooking tonight and mm. to be able to choose from the dozen or more varieties that we have here mm. uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing that I can think of the dish that I want to cook and just you know I have the mushroom here available it's amazing and I'm going to get smacked on the head or the wrist or anywhere if people because only people are saying yeah but how should I cook mushrooms um, if we're we're probably going to have to leave it soon but as a as a parting thing tell us your the principles of cooking mushrooms and to get the best out of them and how do you like to prepare a mush room? <laughs> Look, 
I'll tell you how I like to do it. I'm not necessarily, um, you know, going to say this is the only way to do it. Mm. Um, but given my mushrooms are so fresh and they're actually so full of um, of, of moisture themselves, yep. uh, and we, we tend to pick them quite early so that they are sort of have a firmer texture and a better. They don't sort of just weep in the pan and lose their water, mm. um, which often happens in store bought mushrooms. But um, for me, um, cast iron pan. Yeah. All right. Get that hot. Yeah. All right. Then throws it in in your oil, right? Mm-hmm. I tend to use uh, olive oil rather than butter, but you know, butter as well. But uh, when you got a really hot pan, I use the oil. Um, then throw the mushrooms in and tear them, tear the tear the mushrooms themselves all yep. through. And then you leave them in there, you let them real you heat, and then you sort of give them a bit of a stir. But only cook them for a few minutes, maybe three, maybe four minutes, and that would be about it. So before that moisture comes, before the moisture comes out. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. And then turn it off. Turn it off. So you've got a cast iron pan. Mm. It's full of heat. Mm. All right? And so you let that heat then just basically go all the way through those mushrooms for another sort of five, six, seven, eight minutes. Mm. Right? So you've you've, you've sort of browned them on the outside already. And then you're letting that heat go through. But at that point, that's when you add anything else. So that's when you add your garlic. That's when you add your um, great Japanese any kind of sauce, maybe you know any any kind of um, you know more subtle Japanese flavor with a bit of bit of uh, sugar in it, you know some sweetness to sort of caramelize. But you want to do, you don't want to burn any of those things. You want to add that and use the residual pa- that's heat why, of the that's pan. That's why you're doing it later. Exactly, and then or salt. That's when you add your salt as well. You don't want mm-hmm. to add salt at the start because that'll just draw the draw the water out. Yep. So anyway, that's how I do it uh, with my mushrooms. Done. And uh, before we uh, we go. We need to just uh, allow you a huge plug and say uh, uh, the the name of this this business, where it's available, and uh, and then um, think about recipes for next time we speak. Yeah, so we are called Unearthed Co Mushrooms, uh, and out here in the Yarra Valley, and you can find if you're interested retail, Damien Pike down at the Pran Market, any lovely the, the, Damien, yeah, any of the leaf stores in Hawthorne, Elwood, um, Happy Apple and Seddon, uh, Series Fair Food uh, does home delivery as well. So there's a few other places on top of that, but uh, yeah, that's where you can get it, and at a lot of really great restaurants around Melbourne. John, it's been so good to catch up with you. And we will catch up again soon to talk maybe more recipes and cooking and stuff like that. Thanks for your time. Thanks for showing me around. It's been wonderful to be back on Triple R. Thank you, Cam. Triple R. And it Ooh. has ended. <laughs> your microphone's oh, over microphone. <laughs> <laughs> We are uh, we're, we're very new to this uh, this medium. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're going to get the hang of this sort of thing. We were, uh, we were trying a different way with the phone lines, folks. That's that's why we did it. And uh, it's my fault. I got confused. Twelve forty-seven here on three triple RFM. You know that. Yeah. Or am I backpedaling? One thing I'm not backpedaling on. I'm going way forward, racing towards the horizon. Is the fact that as well as uh, so many things have have happened over the week, um, we're getting together, but. There was a real event on Matt, like a real with event actual with people actual who got dressed people up. People with a MC, and of course, we previewed this a few weeks ago mm. uh, when we were talking to the redoubtable Seb Costello, uh, ex of Bad Frankie, who is the head judge of the uh, Australian Distilled Spirit Awards, and uh, we have him here now to talk about what happened. Seb, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, Ken. Hey, Matt. How are you? 
I've got to say, we're good. Um, I'm speaking for Matt. Um, are you good, Matt? Yes. Yes, he's good. Good. Yeah, he's good. Um, we were first of all, we were saying how you uh, you were looking fine on the night, my friend. You looked uh, you looked like you were part of the Rat Pack in that uh, fabulous uh, black jacket and black tie, skinny black tie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, when you when you haven't worn a suit for a long time, it's nice to get it out, you know, so you may as well. How amazing was it to actually be in an event with people? Oh, sensational. Yeah, so we had about 300 people there. Yeah. Heaps of distillers, you know, heaps of bartenders, heaps of everything. So it was just wonderful. We all got to sit around and enjoy what is what is having a drink and, and having a drain distilled spirit. So, yeah, it was amazing. And and even as uh, spirit is a concentrated um, thing of alcohol, I think the, uh, the very, very fact uh, that the judging process was so extraordinary over the last two years uh, made – this confluence of people and the coming together of all these wonderful humans who distill spirits for a living, it made it even more magnificent, I reckon. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was a huge effort from the uh, Melbourne Royal team to uh, ship out a whole heap. Well, there was about four and a half thousand uh, 30 mil bottles that, they, that came out to us. And, mm. and we got to, we got to get a whole heap of amazing booze, um, in or, the mail, uh, probably samples, I should say, Australian <laughs> spirits in the mail. Um, yeah, and and we got to taste them at home this time. So yeah, yeah, it was really great. It was really great just to sit there and, and see the quality of Australian spirits, uh, number one, and just see the the difference. Like there's, you know, every category is now there's you know a spirit that um, that's 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 made in Australia. So you know we're not really missing out on anything. So yeah, there's so many beautiful spirits made and so many like iconic Australian flavours, I suppose, which, well, they will be pretty soon. Yeah, super excited about it. This was one thing, in in all seriousness, I was um, looking around at one part of the night on this really, really beautifully filled room, actually a new room in, uh, in the showgrounds too, uh, the Victorian Pavilion, I think it's called, which is, is quite exceptional. Right. Um, but I, I had to sort of reflect on the fact that how much this industry has grown, my God. It is a quite um, – not frightening. Frightening is not actually the word. I was looking at it in wonder, um, thinking about how just a scant few years ago there were so many less uh, entry entrants that you have now. It's exploded, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's gone nuts. So 2014, there were around about 20 distillers, and now there's upwards of 400. Um, you know, distillery. Sorry, so it's wow. yeah, it's it's grown strength on strength, and it's fantastic. You know, now you walk into a bottle shop, and you know any bottle shop really, and you'll probably see a, you know an Australian gin or Australian whiskey or some sort of Australian product, and that's really only happened in the last couple of years. So it's just it's it's wonderful to see. It's it's yeah, it's really excellent. So and you know it, it's growing and it keeps growing just because I think they all get along, they all have a great time, and it's it's nice to drink something down the road. Yeah, and, and but that would have made your job a lot harder, would it not? I mean, there's just so much more to get through and then to pick the worthy winners from such a huge pool must be getting um, kind of difficult. Yeah, it is, yeah. But the best thing about it is all blind, so we, we don't actually get to, um, you know, we don't we don't actually know the who wins until the award's given out, so it's quite an exciting night for us, you know. Have a chat to all our good friends who are distillers, and then you know we don't even know how we judge them. So 
it's quite a nervous for some of the judges because you know you don't want to get the wrong one or you don't want to you know say I love your product and then you know don't give them a medal or something like that. <laughs> no, I've always loved you. You know that. No, I'm not just saying that. I'm drinking it now. No. Oh, gee. Okay. Hold the hold the bus here, Seb. Seb, hold the bus, mate. What we're going to do, we're going to ask you to move a little bit because you're just starting to go a little bit um, robotic. And I know that you're a, you're a fabulous human being. You don't usually talk like that. Uh, there we go. Well, can you just repeat what you said before and we'll just try that again? What were we talking about? Uh, you, about um, how uh, we were talking about how um, oh, yeah. all different, uh, all the different people that uh, – so many more yeah, people – and it's even though you don't know um, who it is uh, that wins, it must have been must have been something to yeah. find out at the end. Yeah, so that's that's the really good thing about these awards is it's 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 not so much um, about the branding or the that's people better. because you know, and that's a beautiful part of what what this industry is. You know, like you get to walk down the street, and you get to, or you get to go to a distillery and see the people who make it. You know, it's such a such a young industry, and usually the person standing behind the bar is usually the person who makes the spirit. So that's that's amazing to see. But with the with the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards, it's all about just what's in that bottle, and so we get to just taste it without having any you know any preconceived ideas or without having any marketing or branding around it or people you know or people you don't know. So Hello it's, um, effects, it's yeah. lovely to see that it's just that really raw sort of thing. And and you know if you get a if you get a if you get a, a spirit with with a gold medal for the from the um, Royal Melbourne, then. You know that means that that the juice inside is so tasty. The juice inside—that's such a bartender way of saying it. That's good. The juice <laughs> inside is valid, baby. It yeah, is. exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, were there any that um, you know that you have tasted uh, that, or do you? You probably don't know any of the ones that you've tasted. Do you, have you got any idea of the ones you were tasting now? Um, oh no, no, it's not. We don't really try and do that. Like, and and because there's yeah. so many, like there was 380 gins, so you're trying to figure out which ones are which. And hold it, hold it. So Can you say that again, just just for dramatic impact? How many gins? <laughs> yeah, 380 gins. So it's it's incredible the amount of gins that we got. And wow. so you know you're you're tasting them and you, and you keep tasting it. And it, it's really it's really interesting when you put it put them in a lineup, um, you know, side by side that. That you know the, the flavour profiles are quite different to when you're just having one one every now and again, or you know whether you're having one and, and you know you're reading the label of the bottle and they're saying you know it's got this or this in it. You can go, oh yeah, I can really taste that. Yeah. But if you're just tasting it, you know, side by side in a in a room by yourself, you know you you, you can pick up on the the balance and the the subtleties of it all. So yeah, it's a it's a definitely a different process and it's a really really good one to just to just let you know that you know. What is what is in that bottle is is sensational and and you know it's really good to give the feedback as well, which is what we try and do because we want the industry to grow and and, and be better. We don't want anyone picking up an Australian spirit and drinking it and going that's terrible. I'm going to get some something from overseas. Mm. We actually you know spend a lot of time with with the ones that didn't score that well of you know what they can do better and and, and why we can why we can how we can help them improve their spirit as well. So. You know that's the that's the double edged sword to it. You know it's great to get all these gold medals and it's great to win all these awards. How but well it's also do, really how well oh, do sorry. people take your advice, Seb? 
how well do they take my advice? Yeah, <laughs> not too bad. I'm sure. I'm sure sitting at home when <laughs> they get it, when they, when, when they get it written as an email, I'm sure they're probably not as happy. But yeah, um, you but yeah, you know, and just get rid really of those volatile terpenes that have sort of sort of snuck. <laughs> No, you, yeah, don't, you exactly. don't put it like that. No, it's really, really good. No, really, I love that butterscotch. Maybe the bruised <laughs> banana smell that's in there shouldn't be there. No, you yeah. wouldn't say that. I'm just being, yeah. I'm being flippant well, again. Sorry, I've switched no, no, to no, flippant. Exactly. And, that, and that's and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, like um, they talk about um, uh, distillery palates. Yes. And so when you're tasting something over and over and over, you know, your 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 taste gets evolved with that product. And so it's nice to have an independent view of it, of, of some industry experts to go, actually, you know, you've gone too far on this or, you know, because that's, I think that's a really good thing to do. And, and it's a really, you know, that's a, part, that's a really important part of the process. So we write a little blurb to say, you know, what we think is good and bad about the spirit. And I think that really helps. Well, hopefully it does. And, you know, they can obviously take that advice and go, well, I don't agree with it. You know, I'll just put that in the bin, and that's fine. Mm. But hopefully, they'll hopefully they'll go. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe I could do with a bit more middle palate on my gin. You know, I could probably do with some, you know, darker, heavier spices on my gin. You know, or yeah. maybe I could do with some licorice root to put it in. You know, to get a length to get length in my gin. Yes. You know, that, all these things could help could help them make a better gin. And that's and you know that's what we really look for as well in, in judging. Because we you're looking at the evolution. Of the of the industry and uh, and these exactly. things do not stand still and it's it's quite extraordinary. We are in such a growth stage uh, of Get this ready. industry. I mean, it's like it, it's like nothing mm. I've ever seen. Really, it's it's been quite amazing. Um, are there any mm. that you want to uh, uh, pull out to uh, to lord in the? Uh, we've only got like about a minute left, Sebs, but we should probably. Mention some of your favourite children that you've discovered in <laughs> yeah, the bushes. Well, you, know, the, you, can, you can actually get on the um, the website and have a look. Yeah. Um, the Royal Melbourne website, uh, Melbourne Royal website, sorry. Um, and you can get on there and have a look at all the winners. So it's, it's quite good if you're trying to buy birthday or Christmas presents or Christmas presents now, is you can see what won a gold medal and, and grab it. So um, the big award went to Never Never Gin over in um, – or Never Never Distilling Co. over in um, South Australia. So mm. they won um, Best Overall Distiller, which is great. And then, um, you know, a couple of lo- local uh, Cap and Bells who do the marionettes. Their um, they're bitter, bitter Orange Curacao won um, Best uh, best Amaro. Love to um, try that. Yep. Which is really good. Cool. Oh, yeah, Best Bitter. And then um, Jimmy Rums down in Dramana actually won Best Victorian Distillery, so that's really good. So they've done really well there. Um, and uh, Nort, which is in um, Eltham, they've, they're doing some really good things, really, in the, in the gin space. So, yeah, that's really good. Archie Rose won the best rye, or best whiskey which with their rye whiskey, which was very interesting and, and a super tasty product. So, yeah, they're, they're all good, all good. I'd just definitely get you to go out and drink Australian spirits. I think it's they're delicious, and, and you can always get a good story behind them as well, which is good. Ain't it the truth? Well, you've been a fabulous advocate for the Australian industry. You've got an unbelievable palate, and thank you very much, Seb. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to talk to you, mate. Cheers. Always. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. 
Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 